on the menu, they are offered corn pudding. And they don't know what corn pudding is. This is the Gospel of Musical Theater, a priestly look at some of your favorite musicals, with your hosts, Cathedral Deans and Musical Theater Queens, Nathan LaRude and Peter Elliott. Welcome to the Gospel of Musical Theater. I'm Nathan. I'm Peter, and gosh, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. It's been a little while since Peter and I have actually gotten to talk on the mic. We pre-recorded a bunch of stuff and have been gradually releasing it over these months, so we're uh, delighted to come back together and... uh, for a little kind of bonus tour into the world of Schmigadoon, which many of our many of our listeners we hope have been have uh, managed to catch this uh, this fall. I think when it was released on Apple TV, this six summer, episodes. I think. Yeah, yeah, summer. So it's a it's a it's for those who don't know, Schmigadoon is a uh, a loving homage to the musicals that we've been talking about. Actually, the musicals of Rodgers and Hammerstein and Lerner and Lowe and. Meredith Wilson gets some shout-outs in there. A lot of the kind of great mid-century musicals are the uh, the bread and butter, butter of Schmigadoon. Uh, Peter, you, you've done a little bit of research on kind of the origins of this piece, where it comes from. Would you kind of tell us a little bit about Schmigadoon and how I'll, it reached I'll do the best, ways? and I know, you'll, I know you'll jump in when I'm going too slow or getting it wrong. So, gosh, it's been so long since we recorded. I said to Nathan, is it the red button I press to, to get going? So that's how long it's been. So Schmigadoon, obviously a, uh, a nod to Brigadoon, and in some ways uh, tells a similar kind of story of two people encountering uh, a world that they get stuck in, Unlike Brigadoon, uh, which we talked about a few episodes ago, this isn't a village that gets reawakened with uh, sparks of romantic love. This is a world uh, where everybody lives in musical theater. It's uh, <laughs> without knowing it. I don't think they. they knowing it. I mean, it's it's true musical theater, right? There is no realization for the for the people who live in Brigadoon in Schmigadoon that they are right. breaking into song. That's just a, that's just understood. But when the outsiders kind of say like, "Oh, are we going to sing now?" There's no there's no recognition that it, it is <laughs> it is a completely cohesive world of musical theater, which is to say, the conventions are absolutely observed. So we get a couple, Josh and Melissa. Uh, played by Keegan, Keegan Michael Kay and Cecily Strong. Josh and Melissa are doctors, surgeons. I think he's a surgeon. She's a OBGYN. She's or an OBGYN. Like yeah. <clears throat> I think in New York, um, mm-hmm. who fell in love uh, really over a candy machine. Um, she was trying to get a chocolate bar, a candy bar out of a machine, didn't work. Uh, he came along and said, all you really need to do is kick this thing in a certain way. And all the candy just flows out of the machine. They sort of instantly fall in love, move in together. And a couple of years into their relationship, it begins to go sideways. And as a way to deal with the um, breaking down of their relationship, they go, I guess, to a marriage retreat. A couples sort of retreat, counsel- yeah. Couples retreat where they go out on a hike and they get lost and there's a bridge, and they walk over the bridge. So a very 21st century couple, mixed race, both highly professional. They walk over the bridge, and they're in Schmigadoon. They're in this world uh, where, as Nathan said, song and dance can break out at any moment, and it does. 
And the characters are as cardboard, cutter, uh, as you can get. And that, then the complications begin. And uh, the obviously Schmigadoon, Brigadoon, but the, the song, uh, the, the title song, is really based more on Oklahoma than on yeah. Brigadoon. Spell it out like uh, like as they do in, in in Oklahoma, yeah. You get a box social. You get a carnival barker uh, directly out of Carousel. Um, you get a school teacher slash librarian and the mayor's wife who uh, speaks against the corruption of the city. Both of those right out of Music Man. You get uh, a baroness right out of Sound of Music, mm-hmm. and get... a, and a, a a leading a leading man with a with a dead wife and a past who uh, who falls in love with Cecily Song in a gazebo scene. So there's there's a lot of she her her story kind of becomes a Sound of Music. His story kind of becomes the Music Man. There's yeah. and there's a bunch of other kind of intersecting nods to the to the musical theater culture. But Music Man Music Man is really Keegan Michael Kay's story, and and Sound of Music becomes Cecily Strong's. Yeah, perfect. And it's six episodes produced in Vancouver. Just a little nod out to my uh, adopted uh, city here. Produced in pandemic time under all the strict COVID conditions, although you'd never know. Six episodes and written by two Mormon lads. Why don't you tell us a bit about the creators? Yeah, they're an interesting they're an interesting duo. Sinkle Paul and Ken Dario are the two creators of Schmigadoon. Sinkle Paul wrote the uh, all the music. And he and Ken Dario are a, a writer-director team, I think. They're responsible for a number of animated uh, shorts. The Despicable Me series, The Secret Life of Pets, I think, is a, yes. is a Paul and Dario project. So stuff for, we might say stuff for kids slash families is kind of their, that's sort of their, their sweet spot. Uh, stuff with that uh, wears its heart on its sleeve, right? This is not dark, complicated drama. Uh, they're doing they're doing Pixar films, and Schmigadoon in some ways. I mean, you know, it's it's it has a little bit of that feel to it, right? I mean, g- consistent with the the Broadway musicals of the nineteen forties and fifties and sixties. Um, the, the marriage trope is solidly in place. Uh, there's a, yes. a bunch of the. Uh, sort of inspirational kinds of you know fun fun songs, silly songs, inspirational songs. We'll we'll talk a little bit. Schmigadoon does kind of investigate some of the markers of that world uh, and and problematize some of them. If I'm going to use a nasty word from critical theory, um, <laughs> there there is some there is some there is some stuff that gets done. But at the end of the day, this is a a pretty traditional nod to the marriage trope. We might say at least, or that that's one of my questions. I suppose how yeah. how how much is the the convention of musical theater in the mid century, which feels like it maps very neatly onto 
a kind of Mormon theology of the family, right? The the kind of right. you know a male a male and a female protagonist who fall in love. Lots of complications ensue, but at the end of the day, they go off to get married, or we assume to get married and raise a family, uh, and become part of a pretty heteronormative, we might say largely white supremacist patriarchal society. Now, Schmigadoon will play with some of those markers, but this is, in some ways, we might say, this is traditional family values updated for the 21st century and played out for us on a kind of musical theater stage created by two uh, straight, white, baby boomer Mormon guys. Right. Uh, which is, a, I think, a really interesting, and with them with a lot of input from, we, we assume, Cecily Strong from the, the production team that's responsible for Saturday Night Live. Uh, the, writing, the writing room for Schmigadoon is a, is a much more interesting. Uh, Bowen Yang from SNL was on it. Julie yes. Krausner, uh, who's done a bunch of stuff for Netflix. So a much more sort of contemporary comedians and, and comic writers in the writing room. But the creators are coming out of the Mormon feel-good Pixar tradition. And I think that's a really important uh, piece of Schmigadoon's genealogy. I agree. And I, we were just chatting about this before we, I hit the red button to start recording. So I think the framing device is really, really interesting because what it does is take Melissa and Josh, the protagonists, on a journey from the 21st century, from 2021, let's say, into that world of the 1940s and 50s with all of its, its presuppositions and uh, and follows them as they navigate their way through, you know, the box, the box social, uh, the carnival barker, uh, the, the the election, the town election for mayor. Yeah. A lot of the kind of small town, uh, we might say, turn of the century American small. I mean, this is this is very much Music Man, right? It's the world of River yes. City, Iowa. Uh, yeah. There's not a barbershop quartet, but there may as well be. It's, there it's that world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a, a Christian world too. There's uh, oh yes, Fred, very much. The church Fred is right there. Armisen plays uh, yeah. the Reverend Howard Layton, um, and he's very much part of the whole structure of mayor, council, church. Uh, very kind of normative, and you know, uh, just to illustrate the oddness of a postmodern 21st century mixed race couple encountering this world of uh, uh, 1940s, 1950s, they sit down for breakfast and the on the menu, they are offered corn pudding. And they don't know what corn pudding is. And that leads into a whole song that, uh, number one, is an earworm. Number two, it's just silly. But number three, it's hysterically funny as they seek to get into, as the music starts, inviting them into singing. And one of the the pieces that happens is that uh, Melissa is quite prepared, and she has, uh, Cecily Strong, has quite a few songs to sing, and uh, Keegan-Michael Key doesn't want to sing ever, ever, ever. Anyway, they navigate their way through. Well, I was going to say, she's, she, she's very much a musical theater fan, right? We, we yes. see Melissa watching—actually, that's part of how we see that their marriage isn't—or that their relationship isn't working. She's up late at night. She's watching—I uh, think it's Singing in the Rain, watching Gene Kelly right. and Debbie Reynolds dance. Uh, and she kind of turns to Keegan-Michael Key, to her, her partner, and he's, like, fast asleep, bored out of his mind, right? So he's <laughs> set up for us as, like, he's not a musicals guy, you know. He's pretty sardonic about the whole thing. Whereas Cecily Strong's character, Melissa, is—I mean, she uh, longs for that kind of romance, so at a very 
deep level, yes. right, has been shaped, we might say, uh, shaped in problematic ways by the musical theater tradition, right? She's expecting to find her soulmate in her partner and is kind of unwilling to settle until she gets the kind of gr- the, the big romance that musical theater celebrates. She's also very much steeped by, you know, she's she's one, she's the first person to kind of burst into song. And she It's Corn Puddin, actually, where she kind of begins, she like gets up, she's like, oh, I get a verse? And she and she sits down when she's finished and says, it, it was amazing that the words just kind of came right out of my mouth, right? Like I didn't even have to think about it. So she fits in the world, right? Right? She yes. is able to enter into this world and absolutely kind of, you know, make her way in it. Now, the show doesn't really address, you know, the, the, it's, a, it's, a multi, it's a multiracial cast in Schmigadoon. And, and, and Cecily's character does say, oh, it, you know, like this is modern casting. It's colorblind casting. So there are, right. you know, there are African-American members of Schmigadoon. There are white people. Um, their, their relationship, though, right? Cecily Strong is white and Keegan-Michael Key is black. And I think it's really interesting, and the show doesn't really uh, address, I mean, a little bit. Keegan-Michael Key does say, like, this feels to me more like a horror film than it does, like, <laughs> and you think, yeah, this is a little bit get out, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, here's this here's this black guy walking into the world of the music man, and there's a, you know, at one point, like, you know, a white farmer, you know, brandishes his gun at this character. I mean, so th- we're playing with all the kind of dynamics of a black guy in a white supremacist world, Without right. really naming that, I mean, Josh does say, like, I don't really want to. Um, I, I think the line is like, I, I don't want to pretend we're in the olden days right now. And he's talking about right, like that they can't check into the same hotel room. But we might hear, I think, I think we're meant to hear in that that this is a guy for whom the white world that mid-century musicals present is not a welcoming world. In fact, in some ways, it's a threat. Right? I mean, yes. this is not. He's not going to watch the Music Man and probably identify that as his world. Whereas Cecily Strong's character absolutely does, right? This is her yeah. world. She's been yeah. shaped by this world. It's a white world. And she doesn't question it in the same way that he does. Now, at the end of the day, I mean, maybe the, I'm just getting ahead. I don't want to ruin your arc of the, the framing no. device here. Keegan-Michael Kay learns to sing. So yes. musicals win him over in a beautiful way. Actually, I, I, yes. I really love that moment in terms of the marriage trope, right? He, that's part of how he's able to connect with this part of Melissa is that he is able to sing. But in the context of the racial dynamics of the show, I don't know, there's something a little unsettling to me about the one kind of obviously black character in a multiracial world at the end of the day getting co-opted by that world. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That, I don't know. That, that, that's interesting to me. And I think it's where it sort of disappoints amongst the many places. I mean, let me be clear. We watched all six episodes as soon as they were dropped. Enjoyed every one. I've listened to the soundtrack. It's fun. Um, it is fun. Uh, it's enjoyable. But I think it, for me, ultimately, the more I think about it, there's some missed opportunities. And I think you've just named one. The implicit co-option of, of Josh into the white world of musical theater, even though, because it's the other side of this, uh, uh, this couple trying to navigate the complexities of their 21st century relationship by entering into, by being forced into, they don't, this is not a voluntary choice, but uh, being forced into uh, the world of the 1940s and 50s. What I think they, amongst the things they discover is that world isn't as monochrome and beautiful yes, as they had assumed. Right. Yeah. Um, not and and maybe to to our point, not as white as it would appear to be yeah. on the on the surface of things. Yeah. I th- I think that's really important. Uh, the yeah. show does uh, kind of explode some of the myths in some ways by by making 
what by by making by bringing out some of the tropes or some of the ideas that are latent in these musicals as they exist right so i mean you and i have talked about the theory in the music man that Miriam peru is actually winthrop's mother like that that's right. clearly the we think that's the subtext of that show but Absolutely. music man never makes it explicit right you have to that has to be a choice that productions and actors are making schmigadoon makes that explicit they actually yes. script the moment where the Marion peru character the librarian's emma uh, tells uh, you know it's I think it's Josh right like I'm I'm not his sister I'm his mother I've hid it because I know I didn't you know the the Winthrop character finds out about it he's so I mean th- that becomes a plot point for Schmigadoon right. uh, so too is some of the latent kind of kind of homoeroticism the kind of queerness that we sometimes see latent in some of these shows uh, Schmigadoon makes that a plot point right like there's there's right. two men who are married to women who you know have find the courage to you know kind of come out to one another and kind of inappropriate ways in the middle of a funeral. We can talk about that another time. But, you know, the, the, the two queer characters end up falling in love. Their wives, you know, kind of end up being very accepted. Well, at least one of them does. One of them sings this beautiful kind of anthem to, you know, he's a, he's a queer one, that man of mine, which is a total throwback, I think, to, lo- to the, like, Lady to, Chang. Well, and also to um, Carousel. You're a queer one. Just oh, yeah. Pardon, What's the use right? of loving when he's, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a sort yeah. of like, yeah, you stick with your man even, you know, no matter what he throws at you. Well, in this context, and you watch Melissa kind of watching the whole time like, oh, sweetheart, like, wake up and smell the coffee, right? So, I mean, we're, <laughs> we're bringing a very, a 21st century lens to this material in a way that I think is actually kind of, I mean, it's, it's a lot of what we're doing on this podcast, right? Uh, kind of yeah. pulling apart some of the tropes of this tradition, talking about what's latent, um, right. In some ways, Melissa and Josh are doing that for the world of Schmigadoon. And so that actually becomes, in some ways, we might say one of the themes of Schmigadoon is, can this world be redeemed? And yeah. the answer in the, in, the, in the show is, yes, it can be. Um, if these 21st century characters enter into this throwback world uh, right. and enable this community to start talking about what's really going on. Um, and that becomes the community redemption that I think uh, Schmigadoon has for us, right? If we, I mean, and this is a very sort of progressive 21st century agenda, right? If we all kind of claim our, you know, claim our inner truths and speak our, speak our minds and we don't hide our sexuality and we don't sublimate stuff, um, if we're able to kind of be honest about who we are, um, the, you know, the world, the world can be a better place. Schmigadoon, the world of Schmigadoon can be redeemed uh, yeah. by, by two people like Josh and Melissa who come in and sort of teach these people how to... Um, <laughs> how to enter the modern world. Uh, she, Cicely Song has a great song where she teaches this, you know, sweet little pregnant woman about the vagina. It's basically do re mi. Um, it is do so, re mi, and it's worth yeah. listening to uh, just because it's so well. It's completely derivative. It's a direct yeah. steal from Doa Deer, except now it's via vagina, and teaches a young couple who clearly are very naive about how why pregnancy right. happened. And she yeah. has to go through the ABCs, the VAGs yeah. in this I case. Think of... the, the, girl, the line that the girl says is, I know, I don't really know how the baby comes out. There's two holes, and neither of them <laughs> seem like a really great option. And Cecily Strong, the OBGYN, is like, okay. I mean, literally, let's start at the very beginning, right? It's, it, is, it is a sound of music moment. Um, she realizes we are starting from ground zero here. So, And she, right, like steps into the role of, uh, kind of female female health educator with 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 great aplomb and great you know here she is she's here to kind of teach a lesson it's actually I think it's kind of one of the show's most successful moments because you see yeah. Cecily Strong uh, kind of you know you you see her as as an OBGYN as a really yes. confident capable uh, as a teacher as a leader uh, but also somebody who really cares about Nancy I think is the girl you know who's who's pregnant like, really wants to uh, wants to help I mean it's, it's it's I think one of the best moments for in terms of Cecily Strong's character um, yes. in terms of understanding what she's going on it's also a great parody. Thank you. 
Vagina is where the penis goes Ovaries make eggs for you and me Testes are where the sperm repose Cervix is where they can swim free Fallopian tubes are where both of them meet Uterus is where cells start to sprout Placenta is what they like to eat Till the baby comes straight out The vagina? That's right! Now sing with me! Vagina is where the penis goes Ovaries make eggs for you and me Testes are where the sperm repose Cervix is where they can swim free Fallopian tubes are where both of them meet Uterus is where cells start to sprout Placenta is what they like to eat Till the baby comes straight out the vagina It's a great parody. Like, we were watching it and thought, oh, they're not going here. And yes, they went. Oh, exactly they are absolutely there. going they absolutely here. Went yeah. there. But it's back to yeah. the queer theme. Um, uh, the names of the two characters who end up falling in love, played by Alan Cumming and um, uh, Fred Armisen. So Alan Cumming is the mayor. His name is Aloysius Men Love. So mm -hmm. if you didn't get the clue already, that was there. And, and the Fred Armisen character is uh, Howard Layton which is so close to latent. So we have yeah. latent and, um, and man love. love who end up falling in love. The mayor and the minister and of the, the minister. local church. Um, yeah. And their relationship is kind of celebrated by the town, mm -hmm. which makes you wonder about what these Mormon creators are thinking about, because still within the LDS church, issues of same-sex relationship are problematic to say the least yeah i think if i'm reading this as i'm and i'm you know i'm coming as a, a kid who had a lot of mormon friends growing up and have certainly ventured into the world of contemporary mormonism but only ever as an outsider but if i'm looking as an outsider in some ways and i would actually love to be i would love to hear contemporary mormons talk about this i feel like there is a little bit of a kind of intra-mormon agenda at work in schmigadoon you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier. You know, my, my first, I think, the first time I ever saw a staged production of both Oklahoma and The Music Man was actually in a Mormon church. Uh, the, the, the stake near me was a musically active one. I think many Mormons, you know, the, the tradition of musicality in the Mormon church goes deep. These are people who are taught to sing. Music is a big piece of Mormon culture. And in particular, Broadway musicals of this, of this era have a kind of, I don't know, I, I think a lot of Mormon churches put them on. Music Man is a, is a yes. Mormon staple. Peter Pan is a Mormon staple. Annie, actually, is a, uh, Joseph of the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I mean, there's a reason the Osmond oh, Brothers course. had yeah. such a huge success in that thing, right? Like, I've, I've seen multiple productions of Joseph and the Amazing Te Technicolor Dreamcoat at Mormon churches. Um, so Mormons love Broadway. <laughs> I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a love for Broadway culture in the Mormon church. So in some ways, it makes sense that these two writers who grew up in the Mormon church would, right? Like, I mean, this is, this is, this is bread and butter stuff for them. But as you say, there's a, there's a really interesting kind of indictment and encouragement, I think, to the world of contemporary Mormonism 
to, I mean, in, one, in some ways, like Schmigadoon is the Mormon church, right? It is, oh, it's a entirely, you know, 1940s yeah. image, right? Where everybody, and you know, I, I, down to the like colorblind, quote unquote, colorblind casting, right? I mean, yes. that, that looks like a lot of contemporary Mormon churches where, right, like it's not all white people, but we're not really talking about the racial dynamics. We're just right. pretending they don't exist. And underneath, as you say, right, like there's all this stuff going on that Josh and Melissa, we might say the non-Mormons coming into this world, are able to see. And they love these people. Actually, I mean, in some ways, like I think the, you know, a piece of the redemption story here is that Josh and Melissa actually fall in love with the people of Schmigadoon, or at least, uh, at least, you know, are not so judgmental of them that they can't connect with them emotionally. Um, build relationships with some of them, fall in love with some of them. They enter into this kind of Mormon world and I think where the show kind of wants us to go at the end is like this world can be saved, this world can be redeemed if this latent stuff can be talked about. And I think that at one level, I think that's a message, a loving message from Mormons to Mormons. Here's how we move forward into this new world. Oh, um, we're going to really have to start talking about sexuality. We're going to have to talk about gender. We're gonna have to, and to a certain degree, the show doesn't really go here, but I think you and I can say we got to start talking about race. Uh, well, and yeah. the ways in which this particular tradition has been so in, so steeped in white supremacy. Absolutely. And I mean, it's only been within the living memory and it's referenced in the Book of Mormon that mm-hmm. the church actually changed its view about, right. uh, about African-Americans, that they are, uh, as they're qualified to go into the heavenly sphere, which is really what Mormon religion is all yeah. about. What's, um, what's the line in the, in the book? Of, I believe that in 1977, God changed his mind about black about people. Black people. Yeah, think, and then there's a yeah, God, God changed his mind. Choir. That's yeah, how we're going to frame that one. Yeah. yeah. God but decided they're okay. Say, as you say, the, the, uh, the images that come from the Mormon church, uh, while there may be the public images, and I know the inside is probably way more complicated. So I, I'm not seeking to be judgmental about the LDS church, but the public images, although there's there's black folks and white folks together, there's some sense that there isn't uh, a difference or tension uh, or history that needs to bear. And it's, a, it's a colorblind world. It's presented as it's, a colorblind world where race doesn't matter. And you and I both know, like, that's... The, the colorblindness is a function of white supremacy. There's no such yes. thing as a colorblind world. There's only white people who want us to believe that color doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but yeah. that's, that's a lie. That's a lie that's being exploded. So from, from this kind of perspective, we have this 21st century couple, maybe non-Mormon, maybe Mormon, who knows, entering the world of 1940s, 50s, 60s, the golden age of musical theater, discovering... Finding first its bankruptcy, that it, it is cardboard, the, the characters do not have much depth, uh, they don't have the depth the, the 21st century psychological orientation would bring us. But secondly, they discover that the world is more complex than mm-hmm. the, the stereotypes. And I'm, I'm thinking about the images I see from LDS Church of the glorification of the nuclear family and the extended family always shows sort of happy people gathered together. And, and I think they discover the bankruptcy of that in, in the world of Schmigadoon, but are ultimately redeemed by it in some ways. Yeah. Or are they? Do, is or it are they? Just, yeah, that's uh, interesting. Living happily ever after the straight couple gets back together, the world, uh-huh. all is going to be right with the world again. 
Yeah, I mean, so one way we could read Schmigadoon is that in the end, Schmigadoon wins, right? Like, they, Ke- uh, Keegan-Michael Key learns to sing. He he gets musicalized, if you like. So if we're reading the kind of the, the, the musical theater world as in some ways a sort of a stand-in, if you like, for, we could say Mormon values, we could say traditional Christian values, we could say the love story, tradi- right, whatever. At the end of the day, that schema wins. The, the the marriage trope is fulfilled. Josh and Melissa walk across the bridge hand in hand because we are meant to believe and that they, a lot of is put into the show in terms of understanding true love, right? You can't cross back into the real world until you found your true love. That's what allows you to exit Brigadoon. They grab that they they go hand in hand and presumably walk into their future as, you know, as true love. I, I want to asterisk this whole idea of true love too and talk about that. But um, the other way, though, that we could, I think, look at Brigadoon, and maybe this is a good bridge to kind of that last song, which I know you want to talk about, because it's the one song in the show that doesn't uh, traffic in the musicality of the mid-century. It's going, coming from a very different direction. And, and the lyrics of This Is How We Change, I think, are as much about Schmigadoon as they are about Josh and Melissa, right? It's not just Josh and Melissa who have learned... Uh, to, you know, who have, who have been, uh, what, co-opted by the Schmigadoon agenda and have learned how to find true love in one another. Schmigadoon, too, has changed. Actually, the song begins when Melissa kind of turns to the mayor's wife, who's just been defeated, kind of the, the er-judgmental, uh, you know, throwback. Uh, she's, you know, kind of on the ground, defeated, and Melissa says, no, you don't have to be, you don't have to be such a judgmental bigot. like." Right. You can, you can choose differently. And I think that, you know, in some ways, that's the message of the 21st century to the, to the world of Brigadoon. That's the message of, uh, you know, to, to, to a, I think, to, to the church today, right? Like, we can choose differently. We do not have to be the emblems of bigotry that we have been for so long in so many people's minds. Um, I know that, but I know that you want to talk about, about this yeah. is how we change. Well, yeah, how <clears throat> the, the song's called How We Can Change. And some of the commentators writing about Schmickadoon have said, you know, it's too bad that they copped out and did a kind of more contemporary song and didn't stay with the idiom. But I think you and I agree. Uh, how Can We Change is an homage to Stephen Sondheim. And this is yes, our this bridge is Sunday to, in the park. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Sunday hymn. Um, yeah. Uh, which and, which is a hymn, right? In the Sondheim tradition, hymn. right? And he hasn't written that many of them, but when he does, they're amazing hymns. Yeah. He's a he's yeah. a good hymn writer, and yeah. that's I think what that's I think how we're supposed to understand this is how we change. It's a yeah. hymn. So uh, so it being about change, therefore it's about transformation, right? It's about how we change. And Melissa sings, uh, "We don't have to stay." That's what's so great about change. There's always the hope that we can be better than we are. It's not too late. And everybody sings, this is how we change. Reimagine, rearrange, see ourselves through others' eyes. This is how we grow. Uh, Blossom, burst, melting snow. Find another way to learn. Let the soaring phoenix burn. Now, the phoenix is an ancient symbol of the resurrection, right? Um, of the and these bird. guys know that. I and I know these, these guys creators know that. Absolutely, they know their they know their Bible. They know their Christian symbolism. Yeah, this is this is this is a very aware piece in that yeah. sense. Yeah, and there's one other line in the song um, where they all sing, "The miracle of intersection: two hearts meet, both change direction. This is how we change." This is how we change. Reimagine, rearrange. See ourselves through others' eyes. 
So the miracle of intersection, and really that's what Shemigadun is about, is the yeah. intersection of two worlds. And then within the world of Shemigadun, within, you know, uh, Mayor Manlove and Reverend Layton and the librarian and uh, the mayor's wife and the whole cast of characters, they're all changing. They're all being transformed, as happens in every one of the plays, the, the shows we've discussed ever. Uh, it's really about change. It's about transformation. It's about growing. It's about something new. It's about intersection of worlds. Um, yeah. And it's a Sondheim moment. It is a Sondheim moment. And, I mean, it, it's. I think it's also, a, I mean, one of the other things that I love about the way that Schmigadoon plays with the marriage trope is that yes. Josh and Melissa are more of a Sondheim couple than they are a Rogers and Hammerstein uh, couple. They, you great. know, th this is not a meet cute, fall in love and get married story. This is a couple, you know, we, we kind of get, we get a little prelude at the beginning of every, every episode, we get a little throwback moment to their early courtship, but they're in the middle of their love story, right? And, some, so, and that's yes. a very Sondheim thing, right? They're, they're in an act two. This is, this is act two of Into the Woods, if you like. What yes. happens after you found the person that you're meant to be with and things get complicated and they turn out to be a lot more of an asshole than you realized. That's yeah. Josh and Melissa's story. That's a Sondheim story. That is yeah. not a. Um, that's not a nineteen. That's not a Music Man story. Um, right. So, I, I, and I, I think to your point, right? Like that's kind of where if the show kind of has a trajectory, it is in some ways the trajectory of the musical theater idiom taking us from the world of Schmigadoon, that we might say the very patriarchal, the very white, the very kind of heteronormative world of Schmigadoon, into something that's more complicated, but is absolutely. Uh, in dialogue with and dependent on that world and loves that world yes. and is not willing to just write it off and say, you know, we're just going to turn the page and it, this is not cancel culture, right? Like there's, this is such a loving homage to that world, even as it says, we don't have to, st we can't stay there. We don't have to, we can change. There are different ways of singing. And that's, I think, musically why Sondheim is such a great choice for that, for that moment. Right. Yes. Here, here's here's a different musical sound that can come into this tradition uh, and and begin to change it from the inside. Um, I think that that theme is operating at the level of like the Mormon Church. I think it's operating at the level of the musical theater canon. Um, I think to a certain degree, it's not just the Mormon Church. I think that's happening in our churches today. Right? How do yes. we? take these hymns, these scriptures, these stories, these tropes that we've been handed and not just throw them all out, but right. use them to tell a different story. How do we change? Yeah. Um, and at that level, I think Schmigadun is actually saying, so, I mean, here again, right? These, these, these creators know what they're doing. These are good Mormon boys. Um, there is a theological agenda at play in Brigadoon. And it's actually one I think that I'm very sympathetic to um, and, and find very moving in a, in, a, in a really beautiful kind of way. Yeah. And to go to, you know, one of our stock questions, where's God in all this? Um, yeah. I mean, I think the, um, uh, I think about God. I mean, you know, of course I think about God, but the the whole notion of scripture uh, is that God is involved in history, bringing something new into being, like just over and over again. This is the kind of recurring theme. Uh, it usually gets cast in, you know, fall and redemption and people miss the point and they come back. But another way to think about it is the kind of ongoing evolutionary change that being human necessarily involves us in. And this is how we change. Uh, uh, and how we change is, I think, through conflict, 
through mm-hmm. difficult mm-hmm. the difficult conversations uh, uh, through I mean, intersection. I mean, that's that's the, the idea of intersection, right? Is like yes. two two opposing forces meet and collide; they intersect. Um, yeah. It's not a pretty story, but to your point, that's how change happens. That's how change happens, and you know, it, it, it's funny knowing that, and I think we know that each of us intuitively. But I know for me, when I get involved in the difficult moment, the intersectional moment, I, there's part of me that recoils, that, mm-hmm. that, that wants to go back to, uh, uh, there's a great song in, in Lil Abner called Put Them Back the Way They Was. It's when the, uh, all the, the dog patch husbands um, who are scrawny are suddenly made into bodybuilders. And they come home to their wives who think this is going to be the greatest thing ever, and they can't stand it. And so they sing, you know, put them back the way they was. And, and sometimes uh-huh. I think yeah, that is my own instinctive reaction, just to speak very personally about transformational change in the church, in my life. It's like, I want to go back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I wish it were, I wish it were like my stereotypical view of what the world of the musicals of the 1940s, 50s, yeah. 60s was like. How come but we can't just go anymore. back to Schmigadoon? <laughs> we yeah. can't go back to Schmigadoon. We're in a, we're in a very new world. Schmigadoon and, was never really there to begin with. I mean, that's a piece of what the show illustrates so beautifully, right? Like that, that, that desire is ultimately founded on a fantasy. That world does not exist. It never did. But they had to go yeah. through it in order for their relationship to be restored. Um, they had to encounter these differences and so forth because that's how we change. So where's God in all this? I think, you know, I think the, the Christian story, one way to interpret it anyway, is to say that God is the agent of change, working beneath the surface of things, working beneath the surface of our hearts to bring us into relationship with the other who seems alien, but then we discover as friend. Um, yeah. Yeah, in and through the conflict, yeah. in the death and the resurrection moments, in the phoenix rising from the ashes, just to wax theological for a few moments. But I wish, yeah. and then I'll I'll stop banging on about Schmigadoon. I wish there had been a little more attention paid to, particularly the race issues. It yeah, I agree. Felt like I, I stayed I it over. Kind of, yeah. Not yeah. There, there's there's something really interesting that was left unexplored there, and and I apparently Schmigadoon will get a second season, or there's a, there's a possibility of a second season, and I'm hoping that maybe that's one of the things because there's this really interesting moment um, on the bridge at the very end of the episode, right? I mean, you know, jo- Josh has kind of had this little fling with the school marm, uh, who's Ariana DeBose, who's incredible, but she's you know she's a black actress falling up with Keenan Michael Kay. So there's this kind of interesting image. Of, I mean, it's, it's the Music Man image, right? Like the the new family that is almost constituted, and it, and it's and it's a black family that's getting ready to walk out of Schmigadoon into the new. I mean, you know, that's kind of what Josh has kind of uh, promised to Emma, right? We're going to go to New York, and she's like, I can start over. Uh, and you, you, none of this is right. Like it's color, it's a colorblind script at this level. Emma could be anybody, but it's Ariana Debose playing this role. Yes, and yes. Josh leaves her in Schmigadoon and goes with his white girlfriend. Back. And there, so there's something there that I I wanna uh, and and actually and and you know be, because Ariana DeBose and Keegan Mike and Kay are, are good actors like that moment is played beautifully where yes. they you know like they sort of recognize we have something here that is not negated by the fact that Keegan Michael Key is going off with Cecily Strong right like what they have is real and it's something just as powerful for Emma as it was for Josh um, it's left in Schmigadoon but I that's the story that I want 
to like what happens to Emma? What happens to Emma and her and her? I forget her son's name, Cornelius. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. The kid with the lisp. I mean, like, what happens to them? How 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 does redemption play out for these characters? Um, can can she just go back to Schmigadoon, or is there something else? Uh, part of me wants to see that because, like, I want to see more Ariana DeBose. I'll watch her do anything. Of course. Um, her and her, we can. she and she and Greg, Jane Krakowski kind of make the show for me. I feel like that between between the two of them, their their numbers are are what I'm what I'm showing up to Schmigadoon for. Yeah. Um, well, and we can't wait to see her in uh, West Side Story. In West Side Story. Where she's yeah. going to play Anita. And the Jane Krakowski character, just to, as we come in for a landing here, uh, gets to sing. I mean, so we've had Meredith Wilson, uh, Lerner and Lowe, Rodgers and Hammerstein. But but her great song, um, oh, gee, what's I the almost, name of it? I always, I always never get my man. Uh, yeah. is, she gets a song which she couldn't which she shouldn't right because she's the baroness from Sound of, I mean right. you know like tit for it's I mean it's one of the best performances in the whole piece I, Jane Krakowski is the bar- like somebody please do the sound of music with Jane Krakowski as the baroness like she is yes. born to play that part Perfect. but then she gets to sing what I think is a, a parody of, of the Cole Porter of Cole um, Porter I've always uh, yeah. something in my fashion uh, yeah, I'm um, always yeah. true to you, darling, in my fashion. I mean, almost like, you know, beat for beat almost parody of that song. Yeah. And she does it beautifully. Once I wooed a sweet named Bjorn, had his maid bring tea each morn. Turns out horny Bjorn, he loves servant porn, and proof went my plan. I am beautiful and clever, and I always, always, never get my man. Who traded stocks Hired a girl to darn his socks And when taxi socks Led to sexy talks I was out on my care Give my all to each endeavor And I always, always Never get my I think her performance of that is, is probably my favorite moment in the whole series. Jane Krakowski is my favorite part of Schmigadoon. And Kristen Chenoweth gets basically the Harold Hill number. Yeah, she gets trouble, which is uh, which she does all in one take. And all it's, in one take. It's amazing. It's a pretty incredible performance. And it is very theological, that song. It's, uh, it's talking about, yes. it's very theological, that song. Yeah, it's all about kind of family values. I think she even like holds up a Bible at one point. I mean, it's yes. a Bible thumping anthem. Yeah. As kind of as as sort of contrasted by her husband, right? Who actually is treated entirely sympathetically as a religious leader, which I, I it's one of the things I actually kind of love about this show, right? I mean, he is a he is a closeted gay guy, but that's treated pretty, you know, like he's not treated as a hypocrite. He's never a hypocrite. He actually right. he he gets a sermon, you know, kind of in the grand tradition of like, you know, Mr. Lundy from Brigadoon and some of these other um like he gets a moment with Keegan Michael Kay where he quotes First Corinthians, right? Like right. I don't it's I mean it's it's in some ways it's it's Schmigadoon's most obviously theological moment. This image of love as like finding the perfect person or being the perfect person, like that's you know that's bankrupt. And I think the, the 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 mayor or the the reverend would say like that's not actually what the good book says. The good book says love is patient, love is kind. It does not seek its own way. It bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And that's what he that's where he kind of uh, comes in for a landing, right? Endures all things. Love, yeah. uh, love is is sticking through the heart. I mean, to your point around conflict, right? Love is about engaging the conflict and being willing to stay in the relationship. That's ultimately what saves Melissa and Josh. Um, I think it's also what kind of allows. 
the the Reverend and Mayor, Ma- you know, like that that's what opens up Schmigadoon too, is yeah. that they're they're enduring something. Um, so that actually becomes the show's image, I think, of what real what true love means. Um, and it's it's actually I, I would say like that's a pretty deeply Christian image of what true love sounds like. I mean, First Corinthians thirteen is kind of where I would go in terms yeah. of a Christian understanding of love. It's not it's not romantic love. It's the right. choice to right. stay in something that's hard. Um, yeah. That's what love means in the Christian context, and I okay. love that they give that to the to the minister. Um, I know. There's yeah. one of my friends, uh, not a uh, not a churchgoer. She was talking about weddings and said to me one day, "So what's that? What's that passage of the Bible they read that says everything that love isn't, but it's it it makes it you know love is gentle and kind and patient and endures all things." She she only heard it ironically because love oh, keeps no score of wrongs, right? <laughs> yeah, have I? Right, I've right. been married. I kept a score of wrongs as long as your arm. Anyway, that was <laughs> the other. <laughs> The other great song, I th- amongst the other great songs, is Suddenly, uh, that uh, Jaime mm-hmm. Camille and uh, Cecily Strong sing. And um, it includes a dance number where they're actually doing, is it the dance from... Uh, from The King and I, I think. Is the that King where they're like I, yeah. waltzing around the, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah waltzing around phenomenal. the parlor. Uh, and I yeah. think there's even a gazebo around just to... Yeah, there is a, there is a gazebo moment just to, just to drive the point home. Yeah. yeah. The it, I mean in some ways, I mean maybe this is, you know, Schmigadoon is not everybody's cup of tea. It is a lot of insider jokes, you know. Yes. It's just I mean it's easter egg after easter egg. So if you're a musical theater fan and if you're listening to this podcast, I'm a, I'm going to assume you're a musical theater nerd like Peter and I are <laughs> and this is catnip for you. But yeah. I mean it is like it's a very insidery world. Yeah. Um in some ways I think that's why I love that's why I love the show, but I also think like eh it doesn't it does not um at least I don't think it easily opens up that world for folks who are not already pretty deeply steeped. I, I, I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe there are people who uh, are watching the show and uh, do not know these musicals and are being introduced for them the first time through Schmigadoon, and it's it's working as an ev- evangelistic tool. Um, but my sense is this is, uh, this is for the choir. This is I a very loving piece for the choir. And God knows, the choir needs reminding yeah. um, that... That this that there are problems inherent in this thing. I mean, in some ways, like Melissa is our avatar there, right? Like we love yeah. this stuff, um, and yet it has warped it has warped us in ways in terms of what we're looking for in our mates, in terms of what we are looking for in our communities, in terms of what we think is okay. Um, and it's good for us to think about the ways in which this culture has shaped us to claim the parts of that that we that we want to say that's beautiful, that's holy, that's true, and to say there are other pieces of it that we need to uh, be willing to let go. We need to be willing to change. So we'd love to hear, of course, what you think. And um, yeah, especially if you're a Mormon, I really would love to hear. I'd love to hear what the kind of intro Mormon conversation is on Schmigadoon. And if we've said, if I've said, if we've said anything offensive to the LDS Church, apologies. That is um, not our aim. That's right. not our aim at all. But really, to kind of understand and get a little b- yeah. beneath the surface of this thing. But yeah, your feedback about this and about any of our conversations is really, really welcome. You can. There's lots of ways in the website that you can send us a note through Twitter or even a comment on Instagram. That's all great. And And if you're Cecily Strong or Jane Krakowski and you want to come on the podcast, we would absolutely love to talk to you. Or Keegan Michael Key, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, anybody. (laughs) So we hope to launch uh, soon to come to a podcast Mm -hmm. near you a multi-episode exploration of the work of Stephen Sondheim. And really, Schmigadoon is the perfect bridge. I mean, it's, it's both the perfect a bridge, bridge 
It's the perfect bridge it's, between. It's a literal bridge, as the as the line bridge. from. It's not a metaphor. Oh no, it's something more. It's a literal bridge. <laughs> so until next time, thanks a whole bunch. See you then. The Gospel of Musical Theater is a production of Trinity Episcopal Cathedral in Portland, Oregon. Join Peter and Nathan every other Friday right here in your podcast feed and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Gospel of MT. Learn more and support us at trinity-episcopal.org slash podcasts. See you next time.